Hill from Evanston, Illinois. This is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor in your window, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by progressive commentator Derek Addis, Republican attorney Josh Cantro, Democrat attorney Coco Sudek, conservative commentator Stephanie Hitt, and libertarian talk show host Eric Cohn. Our program tonight, coming to tomorrow base at uh, the WCGO studios in Evanston, Illinois. Nice to have you with us. Uh, we've got a full uh, two hours for you. And again, uh, we hope that you're enjoying your Memorial Day weekend. And uh, many parts of the country, you're getting an opportunity to get out and get about because the, uh, the stay at home has been lifted by a lot of governors. But again, uh, be safe and hopefully you enjoy the next uh, two hours of our show, which also, in addition to being on radio, uh, we are back on YouTube Live tonight and we're also back on Facebook Live. So we're a lot of platforms out there where you can see and hear this program. I want to begin, uh, we're going to start with a, a Republican and a Democrat, and each of them are attorneys. They are vehemently opposed to each other's political positions. But I want to start with you, uh, Coco. You're our, our, our liberal Democrat this evening. You're an attorney, but uh, you work with small businesses. And, I, and I'm wondering, what's the biggest concern that your clients have these days? First, cash flow, customers, contracts, business in the door, right? Second, adapting to this new distant world. It's particularly tough for restaurants, uh, health clubs, um, any kind of business where you have to be together or touch another person. Some of my clients are actually doing better under in these circumstances, but there are going to be a lot of small businesses that are not able to weather this storm and small businesses. uh, Coco, who are the ones that are doing better? What what sort of businesses are they in? Well, so healthcare, uh, groceries and food supply. Um, Some restaurants that have been able to pivot to, uh, to curbside and takeout, you know, some, some companies are going to do better, but for the most part, Every small business is going to face this as a hardship. And the thing is, small businesses provide most of the new jobs in America. So we need to protect them because they not only provide employment, they also give the heart and soul of our communities. Okay, let's let's go to Josh Cantrell. Josh, uh, your area of expertise is more cyber security and cyber issues. Uh, what are your clients most fearful of? A lot of the same things that uh, Coco said. I think we can agree on, on that about staying in business. Uh, I represent restaurants and small businesses, mid-sized businesses as well, who get impacted by these cybersecurity breaches and by all of these biometric uh, lawsuits that are happening in Illinois right now. And there are some big names who may not make it. I mean, iconic Chicago restaurants may not be in business. And it is a real, real concern. And I think while Coco and I have different views on how to go about addressing those concerns, we both recognize that the concern is real. And in my business, cybersecurity, they're getting hit even more now by all the cyber criminals out there. Do you can, think it's incorrect? Can I comment on that? Yes, go ahead. Can I ask Coco. a question? Sure. The, can you agree with me, Josh, though, that watching so many of our entrepreneurs and small businesses – really does make you proud to watch them adapt. 
Well, it, it, it does make me proud to watch them adapt to take out into what they can do with the restaurants. But I think that they have been put under enormous strain and that it's time for us to figure out a way to let them reopen responsibly. Is the, is the politics that's going on in the country, uh, I would say a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, it was those that were first and foremost concerned about safety and, and those who were more concerned about getting their state open. And again, different states obviously are opening at different levels. Has, has, that, has that split uh, been erased over the last couple of weeks? And are, are more and more people becoming more, more concerned about their health or are they more concerned about their fiscal stability? Josh, I'll let you start with this one. From, my, from what I'm seeing, it's fiscal stability. I mean, again, they are concerned. These businesses are concerned that they w- will not make it. That it's not a question of having reduced profits or having to cut back or scale back or the like. That they are just not going to be in business. And that the longer this goes on, I've heard statistics that for every day that it goes on, it adds a, a week to um, in terms of pushing them back financially. So I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I just know they are feeling incredibly stressed. Okay. Coco, uh, your response to the uh, same question. Um, I mean, I don't think that small businesses feel a greater amount of financial pressure right now because they felt it from the very beginning because all of the avenues of aid to them have been murky and not terribly well produced, not terribly well executed. Mm -hmm. So from the beginning, this has been terrifying because a lot of people had to meet this challenge with reductions and with layoffs. Right. And they also had to figure out what they could get, what they could, how they could operate um, during the, the highest phases of the lockdown. I do think people are still absolutely scared as they should be about both their economic condition and the survival of their business, plus the, their health. I mean, this is a real pandemic. It is very serious. And we need to understand that until we're able to really roll out policies that and, and procedures that allow us to track and trace and test and isolate people who are infected, but also vaccinate, we are in a new world and we need to figure it out. Let me ask about the, the demographics. The demographics of those who mostly uh, uh, perished and died because of this, uh, they tend to be older. They tend to be senior citizens. Um, when you look at the polls, the polls suggest that people are still very fearful about their health and maybe l- less so than about the economic condition. And I'm wondering, Josh, if if people, uh, if the people who are most fearful of this happen to be senior citizens, they tend to be more supportive of Republicans. And I'm wondering whether or not the fact that the president is out there saying, let's get open, let's get open, let's get open, is, is playing to a different slice of his base. And many of those older members of his base may be wishing that he is was more concerned about health as opposed to the economy reaction. The, the president's in a tough position because I think you nailed it, Bruce. There, there are a lot of older people, and I have seen this in my own family, 
people are more fearful now than they were a few months ago. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of that's been driven by the media. Um, if you look at Pennsylvania events, then 70% of the deaths have been in nursing homes. But in any event, it is something that the president has to deal with. And I think that, he, you, you know, he, he's dealing with it effectively. If you look at the polls, the Trump's poll numbers are the same now as they were before this coronavirus thing started. So it really is, um, I, I, it's not like he's gaining, but he's not losing. Well, I think Coco may disagree with that. When we come back, we'll let her respond to that. And also the issue of a vote by mail. Uh, a lot of senior citizens may like that idea. Some may hate it. But is that going to be a continuing debate for the next two months? This message is from the National Council on Aging. Adults over age 60 are at higher risk for the COVID-19 coronavirus because they may have weaker immune systems or chronic health conditions. The Centers for Disease Control recommends older adults avoid crowds and people who are sick. Wash your hands and disinfect surfaces often. Keep a two-week supply of food and medicine on hand. Learn more at ncoa.org. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back uh, from Evanston, Illinois. Thank you very much for joining us on this Memorial Day weekend. And uh, we're talking to Coco Sudek and also with Josh Cantrell. They are uh, lawyers, but they're opposing each other tonight as far as where their politics come from. But I want to ask an issue where I I think uh, it's, at least in the public perception, it may be dividing along Republican-Democrat lines. Uh, But I want to ask the issue uh, about... uh, vote by mail. It's something the president has said that he does not want. Uh, They want to expand it in more states. It already exists in about seven or eight states, including Oregon, where it's been going on for well over a decade, I believe. And my question to you is the president believes that this would lead to uh, uh, to voter fraud. So uh, my question to you, and I'm going to start with you, Josh, only because uh, one of those recipients Uh, that you would think would be interested in this might be older people. They might like the idea because they're fearful of going out. They may like the convenience of voting by mail. How do you personally come down on voter by mail? And I want to hear Coco's response. Go ahead, Josh. So uh, traditionally, um, I I would say that, you know, I, I would be skeptical of voter by mail. But I think that if you put in place some of the things that concern folks like me, specifically ballot harvesting, if there are ways to uh, prevent that or mitigate the risk of of that, then maybe this is the time to do something like that, especially given the fact that the older voters uh, are fearful. Hopefully that will change, but they are fearful. Coco, your response to, uh, are, are you a big supporter of, of voter by mail, vote by mail? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big supporter of anything that is going to help more people vote. 
You know, Trump said something this week that I thought was very interesting. He said voting is a privilege. I don't think voting is a privilege. I think voting is a right. And I think everything that we can do to make sure that people can vote, we should do. We, this is the 21st century. We are using basically mid, mid 20th century technology in that people have to show up, clear time in their schedule, and get to the polls. There is very little, and I'm very little, infinitesimal moments, in spite of all of the research that's been done, Voter fraud actually happens. People don't really harvest ballots, although there was a Republican in the South that did it just last year. Well, it was um, done. It was done in California, and and I'm wondering if if Josh, if you can was, explain to Coco what is it about harvesting, and and what are the fears that you have, and perhaps Coco can uh, can address those or deflect them right now. What's well, your I mean, what, ballot harvesting? can lead to fraud. I mean, that's why the North Carolina... But what, is, but what is it? Explain to the general public when you say uh, harvesting, what do you mean by that? It, it's somebody coming around in the neighborhood and picking up thousands of ballots from people. Some of the ballots aren't even filled out. Some of them are. And that person who is picking up the ballots is filling them out and then putting them in the mail or depositing them let me, right, let me ask Coco a simple question. If you were to prohibit people from picking up a ballot, whoever they are, and the voter, the individual voter who has just voted by mail, they would literally have to put it into a U.S. post office, a post, a, you know, a mailbox, and if anybody tampers with that, it's a federal crime, and that is a felony. Response to that, Coco. I mean... I do think that that seems like a reasonable solution. I, but I also want to make it possible for everybody, not just Democrats, to get to, to get the vote out. And sometimes that might mean some type of collection efforts. But I understand what you're saying, that we do need to make sure that the ballot that gets delivered by the voter is only the ballot and nothing else. That can right. be done in all kinds of ways. First of all, it could be done online, just like we did our census. But it also could be done with a sealed envelope. And if the envelope doesn't have the seal with a signature, then it doesn't get open, doesn't get counted, or it's a provisional ballot. Mm -hmm. Right? There are definitely ways to deal with this. But the idea that people harvest ballots um, and that it's a widespread practice is ridiculous. Well, well, it happened you, in California, though, and it happened in North Carolina. It happened so, in I mean, North Carolina, right, by Republicans. It and happened they, that was actually in a California by Democrats, to do it. by Democrats in California. But I want to address something, Coco, you said about right versus privilege. Voting is both a right and a privilege. And it's something that not enough people in our country take advantage of. And I don't think it's asking too much for people to show up at polls in normal circumstances and exercise that right to vote. There's early voting where you don't have to do it on the day of the election. Most states you can do it 21 days before the election. Some states you can even do it a month before the election. But let it's me not asking too much of people to do that. What I'm talking but about Josh, is Josh, let me Josh, let, let me just interject for a second, okay? And and it, it's not too much to ask, especially when you when you weigh it against uh, the men and women that we will be honoring tomorrow. Right. Who, get, who paid the ultimate sacrifice for our way of, of living and our way of even governing. And, and you know, they paid the ultimate sacrifice. So you're asking someone to get out of their easy chair 
and to go and to a polling place and vote, or even in this case, to go and 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 sign something in the mail and put it in the mailbox. That may be the that may be the end. They may not get off their ass to go put it in the mailbox. But Can the I comment but, on this? yes, yes, but 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 the, but the question is, even with what the way we have it right now, less than fifty percent of the people vote, Josh. So right. why why are you expecting that there will be more people uh, in a, you know north of fifty percent that are going to care enough to get out and do it when hi- when history says they don't? Well, I'm not sure that they will. But if they are, if they are too uninterested to get off the lazy chair, to turn off the Netflix show, and to yeah. go down and vote, and to spend an hour voting, and they have 21 days to do it, then maybe they shouldn't be voting. Can I, I, mean, can I comment yes, on okay, this? They are making a choice okay. not to vote. I, I, right. I, comment I know on that. This. Go ahead. Go, Cole. Look, you, due respect, gentlemen, you guys are operating from a great position of privilege, okay? For a lot of people, it's not about getting out of their easy chair, okay? That assumes that a lot of people are either just lazy and um, have plenty of time for leisure and that they even have a lazy, a, 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 a lazy boy or an easy chair. A lot of people are absolutely strapped for time and resources, and it really is a hardship for a lot of people to vote. Coco, let me ask so you need to make So we finish. need to actually understand that even though you may believe, sitting in your beautiful room, that it's easy for people, that, that people who don't go and vote are simply lazy. I'll tell you something. They're Americans. If they want to be lazy, they, they, they can be lazy because they have the right. And we, it's our obligation as other citizens to help them cast their ballots. Well, they, they have a right to be lazy and they have a right not to vote. They have a right to vote and they have a right not to vote. And in most states, they are able to exercise that right for 21 days. I'm tired of hearing the Democrats talk about how it's just one day and people have to take off time and all this. No, we have early voting in just about every state in these 21 days. That's not, and that's not, it doesn't take a privileged person to take advantage of that. You can be working very, very hard and still. Let me ask you a question, Josh. Figure it out. Josh, have you ever taken care of somebody who's sick? Have you ever actually taken care of somebody who's sick and and had the experience of literally not being able to get out for 21 days? Or have you had the experience of having to work two or three jobs because minimum wage doesn't pay enough and you've got children and you've got other responsibilities? That hour that you're asking for somebody plus the attention you're demanding that they look up and figure out where that ballot box is, where the polling location is, that is actually a lot for some people. But the ability, but the but the ability, so, but the ability, and this the is the twenty first century, and okay, we could right. make it easy for people. So why wouldn't we make it easy for people? The only reason why we wouldn't make it easy for people to vote is because we don't want people to vote. Well, I want Coco, Coco, wait, 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 it's not second. that we don't want people folks, to vote, folks, we folks, want- folks. Listen, listen, listen up. Coco, in, in the case that you just mentioned, yeah. there already exists the ability to vote by absentee. So if you if you are uh, you know working with someone or dealing with someone a loved one who is who is quarantined because of a health issue, they can apply for an absentee ballot that exists right now. Right. So if you can apply for an absentee ballot, what's that? What's what's so difficult about going that extra step and making national vote by mail? 
a thing. Well, it's it's a big thing because at least in the jurisdiction that I'm most familiar with, which is Chicago and Cook County, and again, I'm not saying that this is happening right now, but historically in the last 50 years, this happened frequently in the city of Chicago. It was really a foundation for keeping the Democrats in control when, when Richard J. Daley was the mayor of this town. The, the, the Democratic precinct captain would, would go through uh, you know nursing homes and there would be all these absentee applications. They would literally fill them out. They would literally fill them out, and they would have the person right. put an X or whatever they had to do on it. So, I mean, there is history. And again, I'm not saying that only Democrats cheat. If you want to win an election, it's probably a bipartisan thing. But the point is, those things happen in the past. And I think what I'm concerned about, and a lot of people are concerned about, is that we're not setting up a system where it's automatically going to happen. I think the idea of being well, able to the being able to vote absentee or by mail as long as you have the ability to go in and vote on election day, give give a wider variety. I I'm 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 supportive of that. Can I ask a question? We were able to fill out our census online, and that is a count to determine how much money each area gets, right? So why was why were we able to do that safely, but not vote? Why can't we use, we're Americans, why can't we figure this out? We're, 20, we're 21st century Americans. It seems like whatever the sort of I'm sorry, minor security issues you guys are raising, they seem, there seems like to be, there seems to be all kinds of solutions for these. I do, but I not do agree. If you don't want to solve the problem. I do agree. I do agree. We do want to solve the problem. Folks, we we've got to go, folks, we've got to go to a break. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly. Hi, this is Dr. Phil. The new coronavirus called COVID-19 is spreading in China and beyond. While CDC is working to stop the spread of the virus, we can all play a role in stopping this deadly disease. The CDC Foundation is a nonprofit organization supporting emergency response efforts in the United States and around the world. To get updates and learn how to protect friends and loved ones, find out how to help by going to cdcfoundation.org. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us this evening. And uh, we're now going to let our two guests uh, who join us to take a moment and introduce themselves. And we begin with Coco Sudek. Coco. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Coco Sudek. I'm a business lawyer. I help people make things and money. And Josh Cantrell. Uh, thank you, Bruce, for having me on the show again. I'm a uh, cybersecurity attorney and a Republican and pro-Israel activist. All right. Uh, before we get back to our discussion, let me mention that uh, if you have the opportunity to uh, support this program by going to our GoFundMe page, it keeps this program alive and well and coming to you every Sunday night, uh, both on radio and also television. You can go to the GoFundMe page, or if you go to just beyondthebeltway.com, you'll see my smiling face and the GoFundMe logo, and you'll have an opportunity to do it. And I want to just take a moment to uh, thank uh, David, uh, let's see, David Rodriguez 
and Angel Bliss and Craig Bailey and Keith Edison and uh, James McGee and Craig uh, Trehani and Larry Miller and Steve Callaghan. Uh, let me get, get, get that right. Uh, Steve Callaghan. They are all sponsors of tonight's program. They responded last week uh, to our appeal on uh, on GoFundMe. And again, we, we thank them very much. Their contributions, actually, it does. It pays for the entire show tonight. So, folks, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Let's get back to the discussion. And uh, um, it, it, it was the issue of, 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 of vote by mail. I want to go back to you. Uh, is this going to be, or is this an issue the president should fall on the sword over, uh, Josh, or is it not worth it? No, it's it's worth ensuring that if it's done, it's done with the appropriate safeguards to prevent fraud and ballot harvesting and things like that. I do believe that he's going to have to reach some sort of compromise on this issue, given the situation that we're in. Not because I think that it's going to be dangerous to go to the polls in early November, but the perception, especially among some in his base, is that it will be. And from a political standpoint, um, he would be smart to figure out a way to make it happen. Well, it also should, I mean, we should keep in mind, this is a this is a state decision. Again, seven or eight states already vote this way. It should be a state decision. I'm not looking for any, you know, national, national plan on this. Uh, Coco, let me ask you, uh, how much of an issue is this for Democrats, really, with all the issues they have to uh, stand up and fight for? Is this uh, one to fall on their sword over? Yeah, it is. It is, um, for a bunch of reasons. So I disagree with Josh. I actually think this is an issue that uh, Trump ought to, Fallen. He he ought to go go to the mat on this. He should not give on 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 vote by mail. And the reason is because you know earlier you asked about his poll numbers. You know, his, and Josh was right. His poll numbers really have stayed fairly steady. Roughly fifty two, fifty three opposed, and the rest four. But that four is a very strong number. But it's not quite enough to get him in a two man race. Assuming it's a two man race, it's not enough to get him a victory. So what he needs to do is he needs to depress Democratic turnout, particularly turnout in cities. And the Republicans are very good at doing that. And if there's vote by mail, it's going to be a little bit harder because there are going to be so many people who are unwilling to go into the polling stations because that's probably going to be the second wave of the pandemic. And that is going to in order to his benefit. So it is in his interests to keep voting by mail off of the agenda and um and an, and an inchoate plan, mm-hmm. it is the Democrats' interest to, in, to execute on, on voting by mail. Speaking and and about, let me just be clear what I'm for, to respond to Coco. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am for him reaching some sort of compromise on this issue uh, so to ensure that there is not voter fraud. I'm, I want everyone who wants to be able to vote to be able to vote, but I don't want voter fraud. I do either. I do think that, but I, I, I think that as you expand voting options, it can lead to voter fraud. Okay. Let's go to Ed, Ed, Ed in Austin. Texas. Is, One second. I want to go. I want to bring a caller in. Uh, I want to bring a caller in. I want to bring Ed from Austin, Texas, who's listening to us on KLBJ. Go ahead. You're on the air. He's off. He's off. Ed is off, so uh, he didn't want to wait any long. He wanted to talk about online voting. I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna look for new ways, uh, is is online voting uh, anything that is going to go far at at least at this point in time? 
happen? I mean, online voting, how do you regulate who is actually casting the well, ballot? That's the is concern. my 15-year-old uh, son going to gonna vote f- for me? Or, or is it going to be me? I, mean, I want to come back. To, I want to come back to a real issue that uh, popped up again this past week, and that is uh, obviously uh, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, you want to you want to maximize your turnout. Uh, early this year, and for most of the year, there's been a concern as to whether or not Joe Biden is going to energize uh, the, the Democratic base sufficiently to get excited, uh, and and the difference turn you know, turn, uh, you know, defeat into victory. So my question to you, uh, Coco, is the, the the slip of the tongue or the mistake that Joe Biden made this past week when he talked about if you're not, if if speaking to an African-American audience or a, a black talk show host, if, if, if you can't figure out whether you're for me or, or Donald Trump, you ain't black, how badly do you think that hurts him, if at all, in the black community? I don't think it hurts him at all for a bunch of reasons. Number one, 3% of the black community plans to vote for Trump. So 97% plans to vote for Joe Biden. Joe Biden. Based on what poll? Your 3% is based on what poll? A bunch of polls. I can send them to you later. Okay. Number two. Because I'm going to give you another one later. Go ahead. Joe, Joe, Joe Biden was Barack Obama's vice president, which is number two, and was very much his junior partner but his partner, but his junior partner. And I think that meant a lot to African-Americans because we never, we haven't seen that. So that's number two. Number three, Joe Biden apologized. He said, you know, I shouldn't have been so, what did he say? I shouldn't have been so, you know, uh, uh, wisecracky or whatever he said. He apologized. He recognized that he misspoke and he apologized. Something that we have never heard Trump do but he did apologize. I don't actually think he should have apologized because I think it is true that if you're an African-American and you can't figure out who's better for you, Trump or Vice President Joe Biden, it's going to be Joe Biden. And you're an outlier in the Okay. Let me just say, last week uh, we had Mays Jackson on uh, from WVON Radio. And again, this issue had not come up. But, I mean, he, he made a point that uh, although the vast majority of African-Americans uh, support the Democratic candidate and will, that, uh, the, you know, it, it, isn't, it isn't a slam dunk this time. Josh, to you, and then I want to ask a follow-up. Okay, so I've seen polls that put uh, Trump's uh, African-American support much higher th- than what Coco. I've never seen it at, at 3%. I've seen it at 10 to 12%. I also would say this, that Joe Biden has a history of patronizing the black community. He, back in 2012, said that if they elected Mitt Romney, he would, that uh, African-Americans would be put back in chains. You know, this is something that Democrats do. They take advantage of African-American or, or they, they take the African-American vote for granted. And Trump is out there. He's got some prominent African-American supporters, and he's going after that vote. Okay. And I think that we're going to see him do well. All he has to do is get 10 or 11 percent, and he's reelected. Okay, listen, let's. I, I don't want to no, – no more discussion uh, about this matter from white people. Uh, we, we will explore <laughs> – we will, we will explore it because, because uh, it may be white liberals that are more upset with this uh, than, uh, than anyone else. But we'll, we'll – It's we'll, Quinnipiac. We'll, 
It was yeah. Quinnipiac that that showed Biden at uh, that showed Trump at three percent. Okay, we'll 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 let the you know there'll be hundreds of polls that we'll be able to quote. Yeah, we'll find out what happens. Uh, I want to switch to uh, to 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 China and to what extent uh, this uh, will be an issue uh, come the fall. But I want to begin by looking ahead, Coco. If if the Chinese come up with a vaccine, are you going to willingly take it? If it's tested, sure. Josh, what about you? Sure, as long as it's it's tested, I would take the vaccine. I mean, they caused the problem. They ought to fix it. How important is it that the United States win the battle of finding the vaccine, in your view, Josh? I would like to see the United States win it, but I just want that vaccine. I don't care who does it. I want it as soon as it can be done safely so that we can get this COVID thing past us. And these small business owners and mid-sized business owners that I represent and that Coco represent can get back to work and we can put the American people back to work. Coco. I'm not that concerned about who develops the vaccine. So I agree with Josh. I'm sorry, Bruce, this is not very interesting, but I wish a little bit more than Josh that it, it is American scientists that discover the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, mean, I like it when America is, is a leader on the world stage. Mm-hmm. And for the last three years, we haven't been. So I would really like that victory. Well, I would respond and say that for the last three and a half years, we have been a leader and we, we have had an excellent leader, but we're going to disagree on that. I, I would just say this. I think it will come from America. I have confidence that it will. My point is I just want the vaccine. And the sooner, the better. But we're going to have to figure out a way to live with this without a vaccine. Is it is it something that uh, do you think that China and and the origins of of this virus is that going to be a major issue come the fall? Yes. Does anybody Trump believe is going to run on China, run against China, and he's going to talk about how he wanted to pivot to Russia and away from China, and the Democrats mocked him for that. And they launched these fake investigations and all the like, and that Biden is too close to China. Okay. That will be a major election issue. When we come back, we'll let Coco pick up on that. And also, I want to look ahead and ask each of you, especially Coco, I want to find out, I want her to handicap the potential candidates for vice president running with uh, Joe Biden. We'll do that when we roll on. 1-800-723-8029 is the phone number. I'm Bruce Dumont from Coast to Coast and Border to Border and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. 
We continue with Beyond the Beltway with this comment from Jeff Gotland, who's listening to us in Palm Springs, California. He sends a note. If voters don't have one hour to vote or are too busy, have they had enough time to become an informed voter? Coco, what's the answer? Of course they have. Listen, the great thing about being an American is I don't need to ask anybody else's permission for me to be an American or how to be an American. But circumstances do happen. Voting is a right. We ought to make it as easy as possible. I am not for voter fraud. And I think that we ought to do things that protect us from voter fraud. But voter fraud really isn't that much of an issue. Do you think so I err on the think, side of helping people you, vote? Do you think we should urge people to vote? Or, as I frequently feel, if people are so stupid to not know the importance of their vote, I'm not so sure I want their vote. I'm not so sure I want them to participate. I, I, I'm with you on that. Because they're not, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. So I don't have as much contempt as you guys do for it's not just regular citizens. Oh, I mean, and I don't think people, I don't think just because people don't vote means they're stupid. I think maybe they don't understand because they've never thought about it. Nobody ever told them. Nobody ever they never them. They thought no about it. It's like, did they else. not go to school? Maybe not. Maybe they weren't taught civics. I mean, I, I, I don't, I think they don't teach civics anymore in any event. It's everybody's duty. I believe that and obligation to vote. But I also think we ought to encourage people to vote and we ought to make it easy for people to vote. I think we ought to encourage people to be more informed. And there are too many people out there who are uninformed. Right. But the uninformed have a right to, to vote. I agree with Coco on that. The stupid have a right to vote. But if they're not going to vote, you know, if they're not going to take advantage of that right. And here we are on the eve of Memorial Day, as Bruce said earlier, then, you, you know, I don't think that we ought to create what more ways for them to uh, vote that can lead to voter fraud. I think that we've got to be very conscious of that. But there's no evidence that voter fraud is actually an issue or ever, ever impacts an election. Do I get to answer the question about China? You you do yes. Give me the yeah. give me the quick answer because I do want to switch to some other gears before we uh, uh, leave. You I tonight. think that Trump is going to try and make China an issue. I don't think it's going to be successful because even though China did hide its numbers and acted atrociously, Trump was warned in his presidential daily brief for months, and he ignored it because he didn't read the briefs. Then he praised. China and, it, and its leadership right. for its conduct. And then when it turned out that his response was anemic and pathetic, now he's trying to blame China and everybody else for his failure. I don't think it's going to work. Right, I, want to, I, want to, I want to switch Bruce, gears. I want to just rebut that very, very quickly. quickly. Refer the readers <laughs> to the coronavirus timeline liberals don't want you to see, which was published in PJ Media on May 18th, and it refutes all of this garbage about Trump not taking it seriously. Okay, uh, I want to switch gears. We well, talked a little bit. Well, 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 so well, I don't well, know how we'll you can you. say well, you folks, take it folks, 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 go back he to your said it go wasn't back a to your go back to your rooms. Go that's back to your go, folks. That is what he said. Hey, Coco, go back to your room. Go back to all your right. room because I'm going to ask your question. Okay. The question is, uh, this turnout, I'm very concerned about this turnout issue. Everyone wants to maximize their turnout. When you, when you, at least part of the analysis of Joe Biden's, uh, you know, slip of the tongue or mistake last week when he was referring to uh, black voters, uh, the question is, has that mistake, has that raised the likelihood 
that Joe Biden is going to have to select an African-American woman to be his running mate because he fears uh, a defection from the black community. Coco. Maybe. So he's got basically, I think, three main choices. I think this is what, you know, the, we're hearing. So one is Klobuchar, who I think would be a disaster. Yeah. One you, is you said that before. You do not like her. You're from Minnesota. You don't and I like also, her. And I also don't think, but I also think she would be a particularly bad choice this year. Okay. Um, Elizabeth Warren and, uh, and Kamala Harris. The, the, for, for Biden to win, he needs to get out his African-American vote and he needs to get out his Bernie vote. Mm-hmm. And either one of those do it, only their polling and their intel will tell them whether, you know, which one attracts more of both crowds. But I think if he goes with Klobuchar, I think we're going to lose. I think Trump's going to win. Well, here's my question. I want to challenge you on that particular point. Okay. Since... Since at this moment, uh, according to polls, uh, some polls, uh, Trump is not doing well with white suburban women. He won that vote last time, but he's not doing well with them now, and he didn't do well with them, or the Democrats didn't, in 2018. So is finding someone that will keep those Republican women with a Democrat willing to make that switch? And and before you shake your head, you're all shaking. Okay. Does Klobuchar, just for that, does Klobuchar become the best bet for that if that's the strategy? Well, I don't think so because I don't think he needs to shore up his white suburban women issue. He's got them. What he, if Hillary Clinton had gotten her African-American vote out um, in 2016 or not lost so many Bernie detractors, defectors uh, to third-party candidates, she would have won. Particularly the African American vote, though that was the one that really didn't turn out like. It so did as we as well, we as we look as we look in the rearview mirror for 2016, yeah. the selection of Tim Kaine from Virginia Awful. was one of the worst decisions Awful. she ever made. Awful. Also, look, I worked at. I mean, the, she that she ran a she ran a terrible field. Okay, operation. Josh. Last word to you. Uh, does the does the vice presidential running mate uh, name one? And will that help or hurt her uh, or, or Joe Biden's chances in November? Bruce, that's a hard question for me to answer because I still don't think Biden will be the nominee. His obvious mental decline in dementia is just so obvious right now that even party insiders and people I know in the Democratic okay. Party are talking openly. About we will make a note of that on Memorial Day. You say that Joe Biden ain't going to be the candidate. Our He's thanks right to yeah. Josh. Our thanks to Josh Cantro and Coco Sudek for being with us in hour number one. We will be back with another full hour. Derek Addis is here. Stephanie Hitt and Eric Cohn. Don't go away. What is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I hope she sees that soon. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games. 
But I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope our marriage makes it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back. I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours, that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling. We have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Bruce Dumont back for hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much wherever you're joining us from coast to coast and border to border and around the world. Don't forget this is a Memorial Day weekend, so we hope that you're having a safe and, and sane Memorial Day weekend. And uh, we'll also realize uh, tomorrow what the what the true purpose. It isn't just about uh, barbecues and picnics. It's picnics. It's about those men and women who gave their lives in service to this country. So let's take a moment and remember them. Uh, if you happen to uh, know them, if Maybe they're members of your family. Uh, just take that extra time tomorrow to uh, say a little prayer or something, or, or a, little, a discussion, a, a discussion with someone uh, that you remember who served this country, whether it was most recently or uh, many, many years ago. Uh, joining us now to share their thoughts and opinions in this hour, we welcome an independent progressive, Derek Addis, who's been a guest on this program for the last year. Derek, nice to have you back with us. Stephanie, you, Stephanie Hitt also joins us. She is a Republican. Actually, she's probably about three blocks away from where we're doing this show right now. Yeah. Nice to have you. I could have run right over there, Bruce. <laughs> I should have. 
And Eric Cohen also joins us. Uh, he's become a favorite of this program, and he is a talk show host on WYND Sunday afternoon. So uh, he is a libertarian. So thank you all for joining us. I want to pick up uh, the discussion where we where we left off. And uh, I want to start with you, Stephanie, because uh, will you acknowledge that Donald Trump has problems with suburban women? I will acknowledge that he does with some suburban women, well, but not all. Right. Um, and uh, and those are, I would say that most of the women tend to be looking for a reason to lean left anyway. Um, he certainly does not um, with conservative women, women uh, that are of, uh, of faith. He still has that support mm -hmm. incredibly. Um, I think that uh, where he's really going to struggle uh, is maybe with the older population. Okay, this year. I want to go with uh, Eric. Eric, you were a libertarian, but uh, you've had uh, you've got friends who are Republicans, uh, and you normally don't give advice to the president of the United States. But uh, as you look at what his reelection chances are, do you think they're good or bad? And what advice would you give to him to improve them? Well, I think at this point, they're probably about 50-50, but uh, the advice I would give to improve them is I think a lot of that suburban women population, a lot of the general population as well, people who voted for him in 2016, who might not be coming back to him in 2020, are people who may like some of the results that they're getting. They like the economy before the pandemic. They like the Supreme Court picks. They like the judges, all that stuff that we've heard before. They don't like his uh, general sensibility. They don't like his attitude. They don't like the tweets. And yet here we have the president today who is tweeting absolutely insane conspiracy theories about Joe Scarborough because he needs to have an ongoing fight with the media, no matter who it is and whether or not it has a basis in reality. Mm -hmm. So I have the same advice that I would have given him in 2016, which is stop tweeting and act presidential. But, you know, it's like asking the scorpion not to sting the frog on the way across the mm -hmm. river. He can't do it, and he will rise or fall based on how people feel about that in general. Derek, you are an independent. Well, I think... I want, I'm going to oh. get Derek... Uh, I, want to, I want to get Derek to weigh in because uh, you're oh, unique. You're, you, you are unique in that you're an independent. You're definitely progressive. You probably lean Democrat. But uh, one of the concerns is that can, can Joe Biden properly energize the Democratic base... Uh, and primarily, does that mean, can he energize the Bernie supporters? And you were a Bernie su supporter this year and, and four years ago. Yeah, so um, that's going to be the, uh, um, I wouldn't even say unfortunate circumstance. It's a bed that the Democratic establishment made for themselves uh, as far as courting progressives and what truthfully is uh, the ideology of the majority of the country. Because again, most people forget that only half of the country, roughly over half of the country, uh, voted in the last presidential election. Right. So when we talk about Democrats or Republicans, like per se, uh, as far as running the country or when they say we're speaking out of interest for the American people, um, again, they're speaking for a half of a half. Yeah. Um, I know but that Joe count. Biden... They count. If, if you don't vote, you don't count. But go ahead. No, that's fair. Uh, and in your previous segment, you know, you all had a discussion about the barriers of entry for voting for a lot of people, but also the availability of voting avenues for people as well. So... Um, as far as getting the progressive vote, um, I think it's fair, and I've heard otherwise from numerous uh, blue team uh, members, uh, I think it's, it's totally fair 
that this person, Joe Biden, still has to work for the vote of the people. He's the presumptive nominee. And it's not fair to just think you can just slam dunk votes. That's not how elections should be won. But but speak to your friends who were Bernie supporters. OK, mm. how 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 real was the rift between Bernie supporters and Elizabeth Warren? Because there are some suggest that Elizabeth Warren would be most likely to keep the Bernie bros in place. I, I, I disagree with that, but I want to get your your take on that. Would she be yeah, a turn I, I off th- to to you personally and, and others? I, I think it's a turnoff for any person to try to think that they could bestow a label upon someone and then automatically assume their mental state and where it's going to take them as far as who they choose to be their candidate. I think you're taking agency, free will and determinism away from a, a human. So I think for someone like me, and I think that that was kind of the crux of a lot of Bernie supporters was that we we were free thinkers. We are free thinkers. Um, and as much as we still have uh, thoughts that are aligned with both parties, um, we lie somewhere in the middle that tries to find a common ground and or we're also willing to fight for the things we believe in. So, again, I think as soon as you tell someone like, oh, well, the progressive vote's going to come because Warren was the progressive. Uh, I think you're not going to win that. You're not going to win that way. Do you think that's correct, Eric? I think something's interesting here, and that is as a as a libertarian and someone who is very conscious of the fact that uh, not a whole heck of a lot of the population of this country agrees with me. One of the things that was interesting to me about the Democratic primary this year is how just as Hillary Clinton did with Donald Trump and made seemingly unelectable person electable, she made Bernie Sanders look far more electable and far came far closer to the nomination, uh, I think, both times. Um, so you had... You, you really have a difference between kind of the online left and what the media covers in terms of how progressive they think the Democratic Party is. But a majority of the actual voting base of the Democratic Party is not that persuaded that a uh, progressive candidate is the kind of person to go with. So I'm, I'm, I'm conscious that not a lot of people agree with me. And I'm also pretty, I think, pretty aware that there just aren't as many Bernie Sanders radicals in the Democratic Party as perhaps Derek would like there to be. All right, uh, Stephanie, well, go, I, go, well, I, I'm going to go back, I'd go back like to, to Stephanie. Go ahead, weigh in. I'd like to think that uh, the way, you know, I sort of saw it was that, um, you know, Bernie look a little bit more um, normal or electable. But I really think that the, the dynamics of that Democrat primary um, were, were that way because of... I want- um, I, I want to interrupt. I want. I want. I want to interrupt you. I want to interrupt you because we're looking too much in the rearview mirror here, Stephanie. I want to go to you yeah. of the of the list of people who have been uh, touted as a running mate uh, for Joe Biden. Which person, in your view, would be uh, the most appealing to a Republican, or the absolute worst, most likely turnoff for a Republican? Give me a give me an answer Absolutely. to each of them right now. Absolute worst, Stacey Abrams. And the best? Most appealing. Uh, I'd have to go with a. Uh, I had to say it, even though I, I think he could be taken out. I think Cuomo, but he's not a possibility. And he's not a woman, and there's no. He's not a woman, and he's not going to do a yeah. sex change. Back shortly. This message is from the National Council on Aging. Adults over age 60 are at higher risk for the COVID-19 coronavirus because they may have weaker immune systems or chronic health conditions. 
The Centers for Disease Control recommends older adults avoid crowds and people who are sick. Wash your hands and disinfect surfaces often. Keep a two-week supply of food and medicine on hand. Learn more at ncoa.org. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back uh, from Evanston, Illinois. And before the break, uh, Stephanie Hitt was saying that uh, she threw the name uh, Cuomo out there. But Cuomo is uh, is a man the last time I looked. And uh, he has uh, said he's not interested. And uh, uh, I was talking about a woman. Do uh, you want to put a woman on there that you think helps? Stephanie? And I don't, she, I don't think she's in the running. As a Republican, the only woman that would scare me I didn't ask you. To, I didn't. No, no. I, you told you told me you told me that Stacey Abrams was the worst choice. I'm asking you for the best right. choice. You've had three minutes to think Hillary, about it. I Who think, is it? I think Hillary. I don't think that there's the best choice. Anyone Hillary. on his list? Yeah. Okay, uh, Derek. I want you to uh, weigh in on this. First of all, uh, he has said uh, Joe Biden has said it absolutely has to be a woman. So of those of those women, uh, the reason I was zeroing in on you is I wanted to find out whether uh, the cardinal sin had been created by Elizabeth Warren and, and would she get your vote? But I didn't get a sense that uh, she was a, she was a favorite of yours. So who, who do you want to yeah. be the vice president? I, really? I, and again, I'm just speaking for myself. So of as course, much as I appreciate you. Are. Yeah. And as much as I appreciate you uh, having me as the voice <laughs> of the Bernies, right? Um, really at this point, I really think it is, Who's actually going to make some some changes, right? I mean, everyone says the same platitudes when they're running for president or running for office. We're going to do this. We're going Derek, to do that. We're going to do Derek, that. answer my question. We're talking about a vice president. They make no decisions. They show up for funerals. They may add a state. So answer oh. my question. I'm looking for, of the list of people, and there's about seven or eight of them, who is your right. choice, speaking for yourself, not for Bernie, who right. is your choice, for vice president running with Joe Biden. Yeah. Well, I mean, if he said it has to be a woman, I mean, he, no, I, I, I didn't say that. I didn't say no, that. He said, he it. said it. He said it. He said it. I know. Now, he did, said you it. Like yeah. I mean, did you like that? I mean, did you like it? When in he my said mind, that? Uh, the, yeah. Did you like when he mind. said it? Did you like when Joe Biden said it, it that his running mate was going to be a woman? Did you think that was a smart political move? Yes or no? I don't think so in the sense that, okay. that she may end up not being the best person for the position, okay. whoever she is. So who is she in your view? Got a long uh, list. Honestly, there. I don't know at the moment. I know that it was important. Oh, you want me to answer the question? I don't know who I it always is. always do. But, <laughs> That's my goal. I don't. I ask the questions. I want my guests yeah. to answer them. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't, I, I don't have know an who answer. It is. Uh, but obviously, if, if it is going to be Warren, I need her to be the progressive Warren, not the corporatist Democrat Warren. That makes sense. Okay. Eric, I'm going to give you the last word on this, and then we're going to take some phone calls. Uh, okay, first thought. One, vice presidential picks are so incredibly overrated. People uh, tend to attribute to them the ability to pull in a whole lot of 
voters. And I just don't think that we have any demonstration and evidence that is actually true. Um, I think the worst suggestion that exists out there for who he could possibly pick is Stacey Abrams. It is the most bunker mentality inside the beltway kind of it, uh, idea that I have come across. She is of no significance. She has gained fame only because she claims that she lost an election uh, for fraudulent reasons that she lost for actual reasons. Um, picking her would be absolutely ludicrous. The best possible person he could probably pick is uh, Amy Klobuchar, somebody who is, uh, sorry to, with all apologies to Derek, not that far to the left, because that is the reason that Joe Biden won, because he was not as far to the left as Bernie Sanders was. So somebody like her, who actually is from the Midwest, who uh, seems to have just kind of that Midwest nice sensibility to him, is probably the smartest pick he could make. Right. And, and, then- and who could step into the job? I think the Biden um, nomination is a little bit different. I know several times you guys have said uh, the VP pick isn't a lot. It's like window dressing almost. But this is in the this most important. This is the I most important one. More so in than years. ever. Hmm? This is the yeah. most important one in years because you have an you have an elderly uh, exactly. candidate who has expressed or d- displayed little some doddering. confusion, a little doddering. And so yeah. uh, this and person, he's basically is saying that, this is the person I think should be president. Right. I think that that that's going to go into the. Um, calculation on voters far more than it has in the past. I agree. And I also think that, and that, I think that's why it makes Hillary uh, the scariest I, or as a Republican, the, I just, the strongest choice. I just, I'm sorry. I just do not think that there is a large constituency of voters out there who is trying at this point weighing whether or not Joe Biden over Donald Trump and it's going to land on whether or not they think the person he picks is really qualified to be president. The number one thing animating Democrats right now is defeating Donald Trump. Right. And they would probably go to the polls for Mickey Mouse or a ham sandwich or literally anybody right. who is running against Donald Trump. I, I, I wish I could agree well, that it is that impactful. I just do not think that. It my is. Final be word, the, the I think very- what we learned... We, well, but we learned in the last election that um, voting ag- against someone doesn't always win- work. And, but, you know, yeah. people did that against Trump. And I think that, yeah, but think that, that Hillary. Mickey Mouse or any any functioning adult, as we see, or or Biden, just as the you know cardboard cutout, it's not going to do it. It's not going to work. Not not when we see that there are real things at stake, like pandemics. People are going to be a lot more. I think in this in this particular case, I think that uh, Biden should want to avoid uh, the embarrassment uh, of McCain making his first choice. Sarah Palin. Uh, she she the, the the base loved her, but she was not qualified to be a heartbeat away right. and run and run the uh, the free world. And I think when you look at that long list of people that Joe Biden has there, there's 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 but a few that may that may be able to fit the bill. And I do believe that Amy Klobuchar, I've said this a long time, so this is not new. I just think there would be fewer Republican women who would think about going for uh, Donald or staying with Donald Trump if Amy Klobuchar was the running mate. That would be a signal from Biden that he is thinking ahead. He wants a woman. He wants a, a woman who's, who's who's moderately left. And uh, but again, the many in the black community have already said that she is an abs. She would be the worst 
possible choice because wow. they didn't like her record as a federal, you know, district attorney up up in uh, federal U.S. attorney up in, uh, in in Minnesota. Yeah, we're going to take a call, Bonnie in uh, Crown Point, Indiana. Go ahead, you're on Beyond the Beltway, coast to coast. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Well, um, you know, a lot of people believe that Biden is in a state of cognitive decline. So the vice president pick is probably more important than it's ever been in our history. Right now, in my world, and and I'm I'm in a I'm in a business. I'm a officer in a business. I think management skills is important because this is an executive position. So a person who has always worked as a representative, um, I don't know if any of these women that have been put forward possess the skill set to be a good manager, which you have to be to be a successful president. Well, some have been now, governors. Some, are, some people, are governors. Right. Well, a lot of people believe that if he's elected, he will be removed based on his cognitive decline, or he will be immediately impeached. And that's if the, um, I hope the, not. the Republicans have not. the House. And there's multiple, yeah. multiple reasons to impeach him right away. Uh, there's a credible sexual Bonnie, 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 they're going to be busy cleaning up the pandemic. Bonnie, thanks for your call. Let's go to Mike listening to us in Spokane. Go ahead, Mike, on KXLY. Thank you, Bruce. For, yeah, home of Bing Crosby and Gonzaga University. Right. I would pick Amy uh, Kromachoff from Minnesota. She's a moderate. Uh, but, Bruce, the reason I'm calling, um, can you hear me? We certainly can. Go okay. ahead. The reason I'm calling is... I want to thank the veterans who have served America and the veterans, you know, who sacrificed their lives on this Memorial Weekend. And we know the coronavirus originated in China. We know the communist Chinese government lied about the virus from day one. Uh, lives that could have been saved, uh, over 100,000 100, American lives have been lost now. The Attorney General of the state of Missouri has filed legal claims against communist China. Uh, senators in the U.S. Senate have uh, offered tariff restrictions on China. So the hardliners in China need to know that there are impl- consequences for their uh, continued lives. What do you think we should do to China, Mike? Uh, tariffs to begin with. Okay. Restrictive tariffs. If, so if, why should if, we make Americans pay? That's exactly what tariffs will do. It'll cost Americans money. It won't make a difference to China. Oh, I think it will. Eventually, I'll show them that we are... It will not. About that's not how tariffs doing. work. Go ahead, Eric, explain Well, it. we could find other ways. That's not how tariffs work. So tariffs are money that are charged to American consumers purchasing foreign goods. So it, the idea that it's going to punish China by making Americans pay more money is just... It, it, it's just not how it works. But, I mean, it is how this administration seems to think it works. So it does seem to be a likely... Uh, idea that they will pursue, but it is just not actually something to punish that will actually punish China. What do you suggest? I, I 
I'm not actually 100% not sure exactly what we should do with regard to China. I mean, we have um, we we do have a difficult relationship with them going forward, uh, but we do have somewhat of an entanglement. And you know, I'm I'm willing to listen to suggestions uh, of somewhat of an autark- autarkic idea that we should move uh, supply chains back here or supply chains elsewhere, right. and we should give, provide incentives to American businesses right. to do that. I'm yeah. open to that. But the idea that we should make Americans pay more money in order to theoretically punish China is a misunderstanding of how tariffs work. It has been the misunderstanding the Trump administration has been operating under from the beginning. Okay, on that note, well, we have to pause. We've got to pause. We have to pause, everybody. The music is a playing. That means the spots are getting ready to roll from coast to coast and border to border. We've got three great guests this evening, and they will come back and introduce themselves to the masses when Beyond the Beltway rolls on from beautiful Evanston, Illinois. Hi, this is Dr. Phil. The new coronavirus called COVID-19 is spreading in China and beyond. While CDC is working to stop the spread of the virus, we can all play a role in stopping this deadly disease. The CDC Foundation is a nonprofit organization supporting emergency response efforts in the United States and around the world. To get updates and learn how to protect friends and loved ones, find out how to help by going to cdcfoundation.org. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back in Evanston, Illinois, from coast to coast and border to border and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. And again, hopefully you're enjoying this program either on one of our many radio stations on Sirius XM Channel 124, POTUS Channel, or you're uh, watching us on YouTube Live. We're back live on YouTube tonight and also continuing on Facebook Live. And we've got a lot of Facebook uh, people calling in, uh, uh, suggestions, uh, Sherry uh, Calabro says uh, she doesn't understand uh, why Democrats love losers like Stacey Abrams. Uh, Mac Birch writes, uh, how about Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of uh, Michigan? And we're also hearing from Rick Cordoba, great television executive, uh, retired from WTTW, and Doug Dunlap, and Larry Miller, and Roger Townhouse, and Jeff Gotland, and uh, all, all. Those are just some of the people. It's nice. It's nice to have to see some of the people that are actually uh, tuning in and watching us. And by the way, I remind you that uh, if you'd like to keep this program alive and well, uh, we have a GoFundMe campaign that's going on, and we're doing very well. Uh, but you can either go to GoFundMe and look up Beyond Beltway, Beyond the Beltway, or go to Beyond the Beltway, and on that homepage you'll see the GoFundMe campaign. And again, it helps pay for the satellite costs and the studio and the cost of doing this program has increased considerably since uh, uh, we have, uh, since the Museum uh, of Broadcast Communications has closed its doors uh, due to the uh, uh, stay-at-home order in the state of Illinois. So um, it's costing a little bit, but again, it's nice. Uh, last week, we, after making my uh, 
appeal on the air. It was nice to go home and uh, read from a lot of the people who are listeners to this program, people that I don't know, uh, but who are like this program. And uh, they donated uh, so much that tonight's program is already paid for. So that's nice to know. Let's take a moment to let each of our guests introduce themselves. And let's begin with uh, a voice that we've given uh, amplification to for quite some time. Uh, Mr. Addis, Derek Addis, tell us who you are and uh, what you're up to. Thanks. Uh, yeah, my name is Derek Gaddis. Uh, I'm a veteran uh, DePaul MBA. I'm a small business owner, uh, Philomathy Digital Media Marketing. So I help small businesses grow primarily um, with a digital presence. Uh, I, I'm the host of The DA Perspective. It's a show that I just started to kind of find and facilitate a place for individuals that are kind of in my lane or other lanes to come here, a different perspective. Um, and I believe communication can solve most of the problems facing humans today and the ones that are going to affect us in the future. Okay. And where did you serve uh, in the military? Um, I, in Iraq. I, I went to Iraq, yeah. Okay. And Stephanie Hitt, go ahead. I'm a uh, conservative uh, activist here in Evanston, and uh, I'm a mother of four um, teenagers slash college. I have two seniors this year, a senior in high school and a senior in college. So I am feeling the loss of graduations immensely. And um, um, I'm also a military mom. I have a daughter in the Air Force. And uh, um, so we're, uh, thank you again, Derek, for your service. And, um, you know, we, we think of all the military families um, and the ones that we've lost the most, their ultimate sacrifice this weekend. And um, I was a delegate and I'm, I'm a lone voice in a very liberal world. Okay, Eric, uh, Eric Cohn, go ahead. Along with uh, Joe Kaiser, I host Sources with Knowledge, which airs on uh, News Talk 560, The Answer in Chicago, now airing at 10 a.m. on Saturday, as well as 3 p.m. on Sunday. You can go to your friendly local podcast feed and search Sources with Knowledge if you want to find the show. Uh, my day job, I'm the Director of Communications and Marketing at the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. If you look, when you talk about your life right now and how your life has been affected over the last couple of months, uh, Derek, how has your life been affected and uh, how are you surviving in this world? Yeah, so um, initially it was pretty, it was pretty intense and it was intense not only because of what I was going through, but because of some of the people I was either uh, already working with or people who were looking for answers because they were they were in panic mode. And I think that's really what threw me off the most. I think fielding phone calls from people who were looking for help because their restaurant was closed and they just had no answers from their leadership from any level. Uh, and that really, it, it, it made things very difficult. Um, my business has only been in existence for a little over a year um, because of my I would just say because of my financial planning style, I, I was able to kind of be a little better positioned to have some longevity, but it mm. wouldn't have lasted long had I not eventually received some of the aid that was given out by the, by the uh, government. And how much did you get, if I may ask? Uh, yeah, so I received the PPP. Um, it was two and a half months worth of what I grossed for the first year. Okay. So I'll make it hard for everyone. I made about 21000 my first year. Okay, very good. Uh, Stephanie, how is your life... Uh, been uh, affected? Well, um, I have four children, four, two of my two college kids are home. And then I have four, two teenage boys who are home all day. So I know how vampires live now. 
And uh, I never realized how much people eat and go to the bathroom. Um, when we're all home, my husband is working from home. He's also an attorney. I'm a former attorney. He's an attorney working from home. Um, I never felt like my house was so small, but we, we are one of the fortunate ones that, that we are able to work. Have you had and, a, have um, you had a conversation with your children and explain to them that the, the careers path that they are on may not end up successfully? <laughs> Uh, interesting. You know, my, I, it's funny that you say that my, we've, we've talked a lot about not depending on other people and learning to, you know, make your own way in the world. Uh, the other thing that we are, um, what's interesting is during this, right before my daughter was scheduled to graduate, which was canceled, she got a job and she's working for a Congresswoman in uh, DC, uh, and, um, so she, she, so maybe her job, maybe we shouldn't promote those jobs, but, you know, I, I would say that my daughter who's in the air force is feeling very, um, proud and glad that she's going to be. So I mean, yeah, the, the way you're describing this, there doesn't appear to be a lot of hardship that you've gone through. There is not hardship. There is change and okay. frustration. Okay. We are, and, and which we can talk about the dichotomy uh, that was alluded to a little bit um, I you know, go, by I wanna, writers last I wanna, week. I wanna, uh, I wanna go, how I wanna, this affects different, yeah. different classes of people. Yeah, I want to go over and, and talk with uh, Eric to get his uh, take on yeah. that, and then we'll come back to it. Eric, uh, has your life been rocked by this, or are you uh, sailing along rather smoothly? Uh, somewhere in between that, um, not, definitely not rocked. I'm able to thankfully work from home. I was a consultant that worked from home for about five years. So the idea of working from home was really second nature to me. What was different was having my wife and kids around. Um, but we've managed mm -hmm. to adapt to that. Um, it has been difficult. I just started at the Act Institute in January. So I'm leading a team of people that I only was able to spend some physical time with for about two and a half months before we had to go completely remote and I wasn't able to travel anymore. But uh, I, I would say the biggest impact has been the e-learning that my kids are doing. I have a, a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. And it, it has been difficult. I mean, my, my nine-year-old is one of the most studious students I have ever come across. She was supposed to take the um, Aspire test, which replaced like the Prairie State Basic Skills test. It's mm -hmm. the first standardized test that you take. Um, she's such a good student. She was actually upset she wasn't going to get to take the test, um, which I hope she continues with uh, that kind of passion in life. That was not the kind of student that I was. Uh, but adapting to that world of e-learning has probably been the most difficult part, but I'm yeah. far from uh, a person who's had it hard throughout this whole experience. Uh, Derek, back to you. You mentioned that you've received uh, some uh, you know, fiscal support from the government. Is is that something that that you and, and your generation of recipients, I don't just mean age-wise, but your generation of recipients for this fund, is this something they're going to expect in the future, that, that this is the die has now been cast, that if things aren't better in six months, you're going to be able to go back to the well one more time and if the if the virus comes back, uh, you could go back to them next year. Are you are you worried that or thinking about that? Maybe you can tap this well one more time or two more times. Yeah, well, I think the I think it, to answer that, you have to look at the reason why they gave everyone money in the first place. It was to 
prop up the system, the economic system that they have now. They're not worried about most people on the ground level. They're not worried about me, basically. What they're worried about is the larger economy crashing, either the stock market or another mortgage collapse, or you know, we have nine-year car loans now. So what is happening right now with everyone not having money to make those payments? So if these people want to stay in power and keep their you know, backdoor loopholes and tax code and all that stuff to stay afloat, then if the people need it in six months because the virus comes back during normal flu season, um, if it takes another uh, printing of money to give to everyone else, then I think it's more of a, a necessity as opposed to a want. Can I just point out that I think the, there was a fundamental mistake that was made in the way that we approached the aid and the kind of the fits and starts that we went through. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the, the PPP is probably the most defensible program that we have, but I think there was a fundamental error that was made in not doing what I believe the Brits did, which was to have the government back private payrolls uh, basically for as long as they possibly could. The idea of keeping people attached to their employment and funding employers to keep them attached to their employment would have made a lot more sense than sending people yeah. $1,200 checks once and then having to right. come back for Congress to consider spending another three or $8 trillion or whatever we're up to now. It's mm -hmm. all, it almost seems like monopoly money. Right. I think that was a fundamental error that was made in a policy decision. Yeah. And also I, I would agree with Eric on that because, um, you know, the, the whole idea was this is, we want it, you know, this was supposed to be temporary. This is going to be, you know, a, a, a three, you know, the shutdown was supposed to only be three or four weeks to get us to a point where we could then long term figure out how we're going to deal with this. And so long term figuring out how we're going to deal with this doesn't mean keep opening up the coffers. I want to, I want to, when we come back, we're I, not want, be able to I, I want that. you to, I want you to follow up on that. Stephanie, we do have to pause. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us on Beyond the Beltway. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Bruce Dumont back. We continue. Uh, Mike Richardson and uh, the ever-popular Ron Culp are watching us tonight. Longtime friends, certainly Mr. Culp is. Let's go back to our discussion and i want to begin with uh what the what the future might look like uh stephanie you were talking about uh, uh initial the initial idea of uh the support from the government it was supposed to be temporary and as far as we know it is going to be temporary but again uh we, we don't quite know yet whether or not uh the economy is going to take off i mean some states are now open now or partially open uh it, it's going to be several months before we know whether we're on the right track economically, is it not? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think because the, the phasing is, is very, very, it's built to be slow. It's not like we're going to just open the faucet and everybody's out there. Um, you know, we're going to go to 25% capacity at restaurants, 50%. So even if you want to go out there and do and, 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 and spend money and do things, you're going to be still somewhat limited. My, it's funny. We were talking, I was talking with my husband about this. We think that the world is sort of a, in threes, there's a third of the population that can't wait to get out. We're going to get out. We're going to go to the restaurants. We're, you know, we're, we're ready to go just live life, whatever. Mm -hmm. There's another third that's no way. No, you know, they're going to, there's going to be a good third of this population that is just not going to run out there. They're not going to take the masks off. They're not going to test the waters for a long time. And then there's that sort of fuzzy middle that's willing to just do it slowly and wait and see. But I think that we're looking at at least a third um, less economic activity. Do you think? Do you agree with that, Derek? And and is the third uh, uh, that uh, Stephanie is talking about? Are they all senior citizens or primarily senior no. citizens? No. I think it. I think it runs the gamut, and I can only speak to who I've actually spoken to. Um, I can say um, a seasoned individual in my family, whom I love probably the most out of many people, um, has said that they would they are going to stay inside until at least like I believe August or September, and that was their choice. When everyone else in the community, to include other family members, are making alternate choices uh, with wearing a mask or staying secluded mm -hmm. or whatever the case may be, so. Um, but obviously, I could understand how um, older individuals would want to take a little bit of precaution into their own hands and be more isolated than others feel comfortable with doing. Uh, what about those in, in your family, uh, extended family, uh, Eric? Are, is there that same type of generational uh, uh, indifference towards this uh, pandemic? I have people in my family who have uh, those underlying complicating health factors. So for people like that, yeah, I mean, yes, yeah. staying away from people and staying inside is probably going to be a necessity for, you know, my family. You know, I think we are kind of hankering to be able to get out of the house. We went out for a walk today. It, it was very, very nice. Love to be able to, you know, go out to a restaurant again, even if it's at lower capacity. I think that would be great. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're going to see how people are, are going to react to the ability to go out. But I, I was saying during the break that, you know, we had a beautiful day in Chicago today. The weather oh, was yes, fantastic. Yes. There were a lot more people out than I'd seen before. And I've always, I've been saying for more than a month, as soon as we start getting nice weather on a regular basis, um, stay at home orders are going to end whether or not public officials rescind them. Right. People are going to want to get out of the house. And especially, I think, with the news that we're seeing, where as testing has started to increase, um, we're, we're, we are seeing more cases diagnosed, but they're not climbing at the rate you would expect to see with the increased testing. So I, I think it is going to encourage more and more people to start uh, leaving their caves and, and going out into the sunny world. Do you well, think and I don't think it's I don't think it's just older people that are going to that want to stay in, you know, or people with compromise. I, I am. I've been surprised in talking with people that of all ages, you know, maybe in their 30s, 40s, 50s, that don't necessarily have conditions themselves, but they have just, they basically decided they don't want to be part of a problem and they don't want to do, you know, they don't want to cause risk and they don't want to be, you know, at, at fault for anything. There is, so I don't think it's just our older population that is going to be, and to be honest, I've heard a lot of older people say, 
I've lived 80 years, 90 years. Yeah. I'm not, I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to spend the last years of my life hiding behind a mask. Um, yeah. I've lived through everything else. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I've heard it both ways. Um, Here, so that's here's what, where that's I think it's I'm important. Hearing. Here's where I think it's important for us to remember. Why are we doing this in the first place? The, the reason was to flatten the curve and flattening the curve had to do with making sure that our medical and health resources right. were not overwhelmed. Right. They have right. not been overwhelmed. The field hospital at McCormick Place closed with only seeing a couple of people there. There was a field hospital in New York that closed without seeing anyone. The USS Comfort that went there did not have a lot of patients. We have right. not had our medical resources overwhelmed. People are now, there are some people who seem to be these kind of shelter in place fetishists who forget that that was the reason for what we are doing. So if we're not overwhelming our medical resources, with the exception of people who have that higher risk for if they get COVID-19 because of underlying health conditions, they're at a greater risk, they maybe should stay sheltered in place for a longer period of time and take greater precautions. But for the rest of the population, I think it's time to rethink why we're doing this and it's why we're starting to see these shelter well, in place. Do you think, but, but let me, just to follow up, do you think that that's, that's a, a significant softness in the appeal of the president? Because again, the, 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 it's the CDC and it's Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks. I mean, they seem to be the, leading the chorus on this, that uh, stay at home is, is still the best thing to do. They are meant to make recommendations that medical and health officials are meant to make, and politicians are supposed to weigh all of the options and all of the concerns that they have. And we have had fundamentally a failure of political leadership, in my opinion, from the president down to a lot of state governors, down to a lot of other people to actually weigh those concerns in a reasonable manner. I That's why we need more data scientists in our government. More data well, scientists in our government. And we, we need less arbitrary lines drawn. Okay. And on that note, we have to say farewell uh, to our guest, Eric Addis. Thank you very much. Eric Cohn, thank you very much. Stephanie Yed, always a pleasure to be with you. Our thanks to Andrew Marshall for his assistance in the production of this program. I'm Bruce Dumont again. Don't forget the purpose tomorrow is Memorial Day. Take a moment. Remember those that gave their lives in service to this country. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Evanston, Illinois. Hi, everyone. Thank you. What is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I hope she sees that soon. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games, but I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope our marriage makes it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back. I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours, that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action.